Welcome to Live from Plato's Cave. I am Mario Vey. This is episode 37, part 1, How to Block a Freeway with Anne Kervers. In earlier episodes, we talked about the concept of parisia, of speaking truth to power, which is something Socrates was doing also. Parisia means to speak about what is actually happening rather than what fits our social reality. In the past, we've seen this in cases of civil disobedience, of Gandhi, of Martin Luther King, of the suffragettes, and now we see it in the peaceful climate activists, such as Extinction Rebellion, who are regularly blocking the A12 freeway in The Hague and will do so again on the 9th of September 2023. Another insight from Plato's cave is that many of the things that we regard as solid facts are actually social constructions that are not as old as we think. We saw this in the episode about rights of nature, where the idea that nature can have rights may seem strange at first, but actually the idea that nature does not have rights may be not that old. As it turns out, the same goes for money. A lot of the ideas that at least I had about what money is, how it works, turned out to be either a fiction or a young idea, which also means that we can change it again. Our guide through these explorations of civil disobedience and money creation is Anne Kervers. Anne is a PhD candidate in political theory at the University of Amsterdam. She researches the political dimensions of money creation in relation to the climate finance gap. Previously, she worked at the Triodos Bank, and completed studies in sustainability, economics, applied ethics, and cultural analysis. Anne practices civil disobedience with Extinction Rebellion. In the first part of this episode, I will speak with Anne about what is involved in this, in civil disobedience, from the perspective of Parisia, where you find it so important to ring the alarm bell for the scientific reality of the climate crisis that the social implications are secondary. In the second part, we start to discuss money. What is it? Where does it come from? Is it an illusion or not? And how does money creation work? Because you're doing so many different things and they're all kind of connected, which I really like, but they're also different yeah, dimensions almost. Could we just start with just kind of reviewing your week? Okay. It's Friday afternoon now, yeah. so it's maybe good to close your week. How, how did your week go? Were you happy? Uh, yeah, so it was a very, it was a busy week in the sense that I did a lot of thinking and rewriting. I was um, making the outline for a new version of what needs to become my first article. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to um, four conferences in June. And so I got a lot of feedback and I've been processing that the last two weeks. And um, and I was discussing it yesterday with my uh, supervisor. So that's to process a lot of complexity is always taxing, I think. And then there were also some highlights. I talked to a, a professor from the um, Utrecht University and we're going to organize uh, a meeting together for professors um, to discuss um, how they feel about uh, coming to the A12 blockade against the fossil subsidies that we're doing in September. Uh, because so far there haven't been many, like three professors in total, you know, being there as professors. And I think it would be really good if there were more professors to, 
you know, both make it easier for other employees at the university, but also as a sign to society, like um, these people are also desperate. And um, they, as um, someone from Scientist Rebellion explained to me, like if people see that scientists are no longer trusting that we're going to solve this the technological way, then this is a clear message to people that we need to, that other people, that there is really a crisis going on. So I hope that through that meeting that we're going to organize together, um, we can discuss, because I understand that for many people, um, becoming an activist is scary in different ways. And I think when you discuss these um, uh, doubts or fears in a group, it can really help to overcome them and to feel the, how do you say, like courage growing within you. Yeah. Yeah. So there's about three professors that are joining the A12 blockades? Well, so far we've so far? had uh, one professor uh, who also contributed to the IPCC report and then two professors uh, who also did a speech. Yeah. And um, the professor that I talked to from Utrecht University, she said that a lot of a lot more professors have have come, but they weren't there as professors. And I think it would be really great if we have uh, professors in Toga. I don't know what the English word is. Um, yeah, I should have looked it up because it was a previous podcast. I couldn't think about it as well. <laughs> but yeah. like the official... The rope. Rope. Of professor, yeah. Yeah. R- professor rope and head. And yeah. So that means you're there not just as a civilian, like in your private life, but you're there in professional capacity and making a statement. um, And I also think uh, that it's in a way a duty for uh, all people uh, working in academia, but most, I mean, I think the more senior you are, the more responsibilities you have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, governments are ignoring facts. And I think that it's up to scientists to then defend those. So I... um, we can have a long discussion about, you know, objectivity uh, and all those um, considerations. But um, yeah, to me, that is the main reason for why professors should join the protest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you have this conversation this week or? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. it's always. Um, so I remember I had such a headache afterwards because it's it's scary, you know, like. Yeah. Because you are first. You're a first year PhD yeah, student. Yeah, I'm a second or year second PhD. Second year, but, but working on exactly. your first paper. Right, yeah. And um, so that means you're quite dependent as well, right? I assume yeah. you have uh, already like a promoter and maybe co-promoter. Yeah. But as you will defend your PhD thesis, there will be, you know, mostly professors there in the corona, which I think is a very funny word. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it means you're kind of uh, not at yeah. the lowest part of the yeah. academic ladder, but, yeah. you know, there at the beginning. And you're kind of speaking to these yeah. professors there in the room. Exactly. And I think, um, yes, and that's definitely, it is scary also talking to friends like this. We were just discussing before the Parisia concept by Foucault. And this is such a lived experience for me because I'm always putting my social relations at risk for the truth-telling uh, that, that I'm doing regarding the climate crisis. And also in this discussion, you get a lot of counter-arguments. And I think it is 
you need to be both bold in your arguing and be emphatic in what they're telling you, you know? And so it requires a lot of um, skill. And I'm still practicing that skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a muscle almost, I think. Um, and so that is a challenge. But exactly what you're saying is also really, you know, being a PhD and <laughs> talking to a professor, it's all, all, yeah, it's not... Being bold is not nice. And I also told her, I don't enjoy uh, saying these things and I don't feel comfortable saying these things, but I feel like I have to. And I'm more scared of not doing this because I want to, you know, prevent, uh, I want to contribute to preventing climate crisis as much as possible. So not doing it is not an option, but it doesn't mean that I enjoy this. And why I wanted to do it with her organizing the meeting is because I thought that, You know, when professors get invited by other professors, they're much more likely to show up and take it serious. And this is the same with, you know, the hierarchy that I am just a PhD. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you mean by parisia? Well, so uh, if I remember correctly, how Foucault explains it is that you're a person who puts their social relations at risk for truth-telling. So... You're, you're risking your friendships, your family relations, your um, the relationship that you have with your colleague and maybe also your professional status for saying the things that you think are true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this case, it's climate science. And I think I first experienced this when I was writing these uh, stories on my Instagram account and saying to my friends how bad it is and stuff like that. I think that there is always this fear of being rejected because of what you're doing mm-hmm. uh, in terms of climate activism. Um, but I also know that it's not a reason for me to not do it. I can still have this fear and I think it's important to um, take care of myself having this fear, you know. Uh, and I can also be a bit harder about it um, because I, this fear is maybe deeper emotional, right? Like fear to be rejected is, is a general thing, I guess. But um, on another level, I I also think that, you know, if, if people judge me over that, they maybe weren't friends in the first place. And that's a bit harsher. And I can also understand how these people have their own inner world and stuff like that. So I wouldn't necessarily take that position only but i yeah there is different ways to deal with it yeah Yeah. and it depends a bit on my mood (laughs) what i'm going for (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so is this a average week for you or Um, i mean in in terms of because you're you're right you're working on a paper i read some of the outlines is quite a complex uh, topic for me i still have some trouble uh, wrapping my head around it but I mean that's great I, I'm speaking yeah. to you now so yeah. you can yeah. explain it later but then you're also yeah I mean you did some conferences I don't know are you easy is it easy for you to give presentations do you have stage uh, fright or no I don't really have stage fright but it's always you always get a bit uh tense right like you yeah. always have this it's not as if you're talking to it's always a bit more difficult and it depends a bit on the audience how much more difficult it gets. And what really what really is my challenge is that I think that I uh, am doing fine. And then when I'm at the stage, uh, suddenly 
my heartbeats goes up and stuff like that. And that's really annoying because I'm trying to prevent it. Like I'm trying to take care of myself, but then it kind of slips through Mm -hmm. somehow. So no, I'm definitely, uh, I definitely uh, do. Yeah, I, I am not uncomfortable, but I'm also not comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's really inspiring this uh, documentary about Sting. Okay. uh, Who, I don't know, he's been a musician for, what, 30, 40 years or something like that. And then they film him just before he goes on stage. And it's it's just like, you know, a first year student giving a presentation. He's like really scared and on edge and everything like that. Yeah. He says, well, yeah, it it, uh, never goes away. Yeah. Yeah. So this like... um, yeah, you know you're you you're prepared. You know maybe you've done it many times. You know uh, you've studied the topic and everything, but still you get this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're alert. Your body is awake, right? And for me, I annoy myself because every time that I do something, I'm like, I need more time to prepare. Like I need to say the thing that I'm gonna say at least three times, and I never get to it. And yeah. so I'm a bit frustrated with myself yeah. why I am not succeeding at making that a priority. Yeah. yeah. So that's quite stressful. Then if you do this to, uh, you know, your fellow academics and then speaking to a room full of professors. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's a bit. I would say a bit. It's not it's not that it's really crazy stressful, but it's a bit stressful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 How do you feel in preparation for these Extinction Rebellion blockades? So there's going to be another one in September, right? Yeah. I assume you're another many because we're gonna return every day yeah. until the government stops the subsidies. Mm-hmm. So there's gonna be twenty uh, or twenty one uh, in September, and then we're gonna continue in October. So you're coming back every day. Yeah. 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 Okay. And and so if I do, um, if I'm a spokesperson for XR, I also um, really put a lot of time into preparation. Uh, so for the A12 actie, I've done it a few times. And I have this document that I also share with the other uh, spokespeople. And I really want to, and every time I hear an argument or I see something, you know, on Twitter or whatever, someone is saying some, something a- anywhere, I always make a note and mm-hmm. try to remember it. And I think with this thing, it comes with time, you know, like the more often you do the same thing, that's really nice. Yeah. The more ingrained it becomes and the more easier it becomes when someone asks you to like, I always try to do this um, canon of quotes, like bum, 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 bum. So, and I really like, to me, that's a, a it's a nice puzzle. It, it's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. How many hours do you think you spent like in the middle of the highway of the A12 by now? Uh, I... I think like on average, we probably have been there for, well, it depends a bit because the ones in um, October and November were a lot shorter. Like they would, I think those only lasted like three to four hours. And the ones in um, this year, they lasted like seven to eight hours, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And then, of course, you get arrested and... um, you have to stay in the police station. And sometimes we, they immediately release us, which is also really f- weird without any record at all. Yeah. I think like maybe 50 hours in total. Yeah. yeah. 50 hours. Okay. So uh, more than a week. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's such an interesting place to me, the, the A12, because it's, uh, I mean, I used to live in The Hague. Yeah. But now I, uh, it's on my 
way to Gouda, so my uh, you know where I live now. Yeah. But my family, a lot of things are in the Hague, so I pass it quite often. So it's it's a piece of highway, and it, it goes down a little bit. And there's a little bridge over it, and uh, on top of the bridge you can eat yeah. fries or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, actually, I was there in uh, I don't know which one. I think February. I was there just yeah. looking. I was there with my uh, five-year-old daughter because yeah. I wanted her to see. And yeah. I was telling her, you know, they're going, now you see cars and yeah. soon there's going to be people yeah. on the road and they're going to block it. So she was quite excited. Yeah. She had um, uh, like a clearplate of uh, Olaf oh. with her, the, the snowman, yeah. because oh. uh, I spoke with her about, uh, you know, yeah. she doesn't only know snowmen from cartoons, but <laughs> from real life as well. Yeah. But actually, we were sent away by by the police. We were threatened with arrest. Yeah. Uh, I was there with my five-year-old daughter, but there were many other children. And there were uh, elderly people as well. Just people like basically looking what was going on on the road. And that's a place where normally you can stop. It's not on the road. It's just a pavement. It's just a pavement. Yeah, and, and a there's like, pavement. Yeah, and there's a fries pla- or whatever yeah. bread. You can yeah, just yeah, it's, eat it's there. Yeah, it's a snack bar. It's yeah. a snack bar. So, yeah, you, yeah it's a place where you, normally you stand. Um, yeah, well, I, I like the, what you bring in the repetition part because it's almost like a performance, right? It's like a place where normally the only function of that place is that cars are passing through. Yeah. At uh, 70 kilometers an yeah, hour because maximum. Technically, it's not a highway. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know what it's called. Um, in English, but it's like a, it's a road running up to a highway. Yeah, an on-road, I think, or an on-ramp. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah because yeah. you just, like in the city, the, the speed limit is 50 kilometers. Right. And here about. it's 70, right? And there it's 70, yeah. and then just like a few hundred meters. Then uh, it becomes a highway. Yeah, yeah. then it's After the, 100, the lights. Yeah. But it's a place where you know you're not you don't have space to walk basically. No. And then you have the stop fossil subsidies now, like yeah. stop fossil subsidies now. Yeah. Written there on the wall. Yeah. And that's very interesting because I think it's between the Ministry of Climate and yeah. and the government, temporary government yeah. building. Yeah, the temporary parliament. Yeah. So it's basically if it's about climate, this is the seat of power. Yeah, it's the uh, Ministry of Economics and Climate, and it's also the department where they decide on the fossil subsidies. Yeah. But they're not. But so even though all the power is there, they don't manage to take out of this, you know, writing on the wall. Yeah, but but that, that's because we keep on re- writing it when they so take, they it, take away. it off, and then yes, somebody and comes there and yeah. write it again, and usually they get arrested as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 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 And arrest, of course, is something because I remember that feeling because I'm not an activist. I wasn't there. I was just in a looking at a demonstration yeah. and. Uh, not part of a demonstration my daughter was but (laughs) I was just carrying her but I even this because I'm trying to get to this feeling of the police surrounding you with MA vehicles and telling you go off and you you know they're not I mean we live in the Netherlands neither of us are persons of color so that's another reason if you are you must worry about that maybe but generally the police is very nice to you right Yes, well, I wouldn't say nice. Um, I think, yes, first of all, we're very privileged with, um, you know, that we can protest without any fear for our lives or because, you know, what climate activism in the global south are doing, they, they have to fear for their lives. And I think then, yes, when people of color 
are also arrestable. We always um, provide them with, if they want to, a body cam. And it's horrible uh, how, like, I remember this blockade that we did in January where the police first turned off the camera. Yeah, I saw that they took and, away the yeah. body cam. Yeah. And then they, you know, they don't hold up to their own standards. So, for instance, uh, uh, many people go floppy. I also always go floppy. And uh, which means that you completely relax and yeah. they have to drag you. And we do this because we uh, prolong the demonstration that way. Legally, they have to carry you with four people and they rarely do so. And then instead they, uh, you know, uh, so I've had so many uh, what they call bokepot, where they put your hands into a certain position uh, that really hurts. So I don't do yoga, but when I get arrested, I always think of yoga, like completely relax yeah. and breathe through and all those things that I know a little bit. Um, because then it hurts the least. Um, and they're often also very rude and very emotional. Mm-hmm. They'll, you know, um, and uh, and of course there's also nice uh, police people but it's also hard for uh, me at least to trust them because you never know is this a good cop bad cop or is this person really a nice person you can't know and so my position is that I am always uh, respectful and but that is where it ends so I also always advise to people do not speak to the police because you don't know how your information is valuable to them even if you think that your information is not valuable you don't know how it is to them. So, yeah, um, ni- yeah, nice wouldn't be the way I'd put it. And I also, getting arrested is also always a bit emotional to me in the sense that it becomes very physical, the extent to which the government goes to protect the fossil fuel industry over their people, which they have a legal responsibility to protect. Yeah. And so it's not just the pain the physical pain but it's also the hurt of we could so easily prevent so much suffering and with these uprisings then still they prefer to protect uh, the criminals over the climate activists and and that is just so sad and angry it must be quite scary being there on the road I was I was standing on the bridge. Yeah. And even uh, there, I thought, okay, you know, there's children, there's older people. Yeah. So in that sense, I meant, yeah, the police is going. I I know from the police, they will, you know, yeah. try to speak to you first and everything. In in that situation, right? Yeah. But even there, I felt there was this emotion, like this intimidation. Yeah. And actually, I know people work for the police, so I have nothing against the police in no. the Netherlands. And there's yeah. always, I mean, there's always problems in many organizations, right? Yeah. Um, but it's this fundamental thing of you're doing something which the authorities say you cannot do, or they're saying you must move, but yeah. you're, so you're not, they, they have the power, right? Yeah. So, they have this monopoly on violence and that yeah. just makes everything different. And I also think that generally power often corrupts. And I think here too, uh, I guess that some people do not deal with this power that they receive as police people responsibly. Yeah. So in that sense, it's quite serious and you can get physically hurt, you can get scared and you get can get hurt in the sense they're an extension of the government and the government is supposed to protect you. Yeah. And you're there demanding basically that the government protects you and the yeah. future. 
uh, and and this is the response. And of course, they're they're you know they get their orders, so they're they're doing something like that. But then on the other hand, it's something that you do you repeat it over and over again. So the A12 becomes this stage basically, yeah. and it's a stage where first you have to clear the stage. The the cars cannot stop there. Yeah, it's this. Even the word arrestable is so yeah. uh, interesting. Yeah. Like you, I'm arrestable. Yeah. So I'm going to go somewhere. And when the police, they, they, they have to give some formal warnings, I think, yeah. before they yes, uh, yeah. arrest you. So then a lot of people, when they give the first or the second warning, a lot of people leave. Because they know if I, you know, there's a point where, you know, if if now I don't do what the police tells me to do. Then you can uh, get arrested. You can yes. get arrested. But you don't know because you don't know if they arrest you or they spare you with the water cannons or, yeah. or whatever. But it's a, it's a choice. You're there. You're sitting there, but you're not doing really. Because you're not doing. The whole thing is you're not doing anything. Yeah. You're just saying, well, I'm just sitting here. Yeah. Do you want to move? No, I don't want to move. But. Beyond that, you're not, I mean, maybe you're reading a book or talking yes, to people or something yes, like that, yes, but you're just people, uh, yeah. sitting there. So it's basically not not doing something in a place where you're, you're not allowed to be or not yeah. <laughs> sit or something like yeah. that. Why is that so powerful? I think what the people share who sit on the A12 is that we need disruption to get climate policy, to get adequate climate policy. And I think one of the things that, and I, I, I don't know why it's powerful, actually. I just think that it's a really good strategy that also historically has proven itself. Like when? A close example is uh, the biking paths in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. They also came about through uh, people blocking the road near the Rijksmuseum because so many cyclists were dying in traffic accidents because there weren't cycle paths. This is how the Netherlands got their cycle paths. And I think... Uh, also, the fact that so few people know about how um, activism and disruption has contributed to the social the rights that they enjoy today is really a disgrace. Um, but like other examples are the civil rights movement in the US and then there is uh, Gandhi's uh, movement in the India, the colonial regime that was thrown over there. And then there's also, of course, uh, Mandela in South Africa. Another example uh, are the suffragettes and the voting rights for women. And I think one thing that these things all share in common is that in their own time, yeah, these people who were doing that were thought to be crazy, you know, and now that now we're celebrating them. And we need to disrupt to um, to change it. And it's not the and I think often people think that Everyone needs to agree before something gets changed. But what you also see with these examples is that only a small amount of people need to do it to shift the perspective of a larger group. And then policies already come about and then later the majority comes to terms with it. I think there's very few women today who who would rather not have voting rights. Mm-hmm. But in their back, back then, a lot of women... I, and also more recently with other um, women's rights, uh, women were saying, like, wi- women were saying, La, no, I don't need that. No, I don't think it's it's a good thing. I, I forgot what this clip specifically was about. But I think that all the rights that women enjoy today, there's maybe like less than 1% who thinks that they shouldn't, you know, that, that they that don't want to have those rights. So 
we don't need the majority to agree with us now. It's not a popularity contest in that sense. Mm -hmm. But we need a small group of people. So some people say 3%. I don't know. And I think being on the A12 is also personally is powerful. I, I, I don't know if I would use the word powerful, but an answer that comes to mind is it's really, it, it's such a relief. Um, I think that's a better word than powerful for me uh, to have um, agency in this crisis that is so, so overwhelming Yeah. to finally um, have something that you, that is meaningful, that you can do. It's just um, for my mental health very important. So it's a form of therapy as well. <laughs> yeah, also it's it's also a form of therapy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think also being with people who understand, where who understand you in the sense that you don't need to explain the climate crisis to them is also such a relief. Like I sometimes I really feel a bit like, you know, I'm people ask me like, can you explain one more time? Like that I kind of need to convince them how bad it is. And it's not a rational question for me, you know? It's like, if I'm having a beer on a Friday evening, I don't want to open this box of fear, anger, and sadness. Rather, I'd have my friends tell me, oh, you had a busy week, you did a lot of activism stuff, and uh, I really appreciate it, and now can I, um, you know, like, how can I help you instead of, can you, uh, why is it, or like making jokes about the climate crisis and stuff like that, like, yeah. And so being in XR is also, I've met so many great people that I so deeply respect. And so that's all great, but it's also really, really great to have, to, yeah, to be able to be with people where you don't need to discuss the climate crisis, but you know that they understand and, and, and that they're also taking action. Yeah, you have the same goal. Yeah. 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 I feel like that when I'm meeting somebody, like I'm meeting you, we haven't met before, but sometimes I'm meeting someone from our work or something, and I know they're, you yeah. know, not even an activist, but they're yeah. busy with this, and you ins- yeah. you have an instant connection because exactly. you kind of you kind of share this yeah. reality or this assessment about yeah. reality that exactly. Uh, I mean, the the fundamental thing is that we are in a crisis. Yeah. I mean, that's the first. Step, right? you're right you know it's like it's not necessarily that someone needs to be in xr i also share this with other people you know mm-hmm. but it's about um having this shared sense about the urgency and it's also for me the first time that ex- i experienced community like growing up i never experienced any of that and the way i understand is that i i just have this form of instant trust without knowing someone um if I, for instance, get to know them through XR, there's just this um, level of trust that's already there that is not there when I meet something, someone who is, you know, um, uh, who is not, yeah, who does not show that um, they share the same urgency about the climate crisis. Yeah. But I imagine uh, people who are in in Holland, we have like forum for, uh, from Democratie. Yeah. But all around the world, we have this, um, like, I think it's called alt-right. Yeah. Also sharing a reality about that there are all these conspiracies going on. Yeah. Um, 
that uh, I don't know the the world is being overrun because white men are jeopardized and all all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, they must have this feeling too, right? Uh, they must have this feeling like if you meet someone, okay, there's certain jokes uh, yeah. that you can make that you know, okay, I'm I, it's safe to make these yeah. jokes with you. And they also have this idea about this, yeah, just referring to the Dutch context uh, mm-hmm. about evil reptiles taking over the world or yeah. uh, the, the what is it, the uh, basals or something. There's like these people in power, the elites, they, they call it. Yeah. Which is always funny to me because how can there be multiple elites? But yeah. okay. So they also have this idea about there's a, cri- a certain crisis going on. Yeah. Uh, things are under threat and there's a lot of people in the country that don't acknowledge that that don't share that reality and they might also have this feeling so how do you know that you're right basically how do you know that you're in the right group climate science climate science yeah Yeah. what is climate science to you i mean to me it's 99 point what's it nine percent of climate scientists agreeing that we're facing an existential problem uh, and how that is going to threaten us and is already threatening a lot of people right now in so many ways, you know, from food security to water security um, to, yeah, in so many existential ways is going to be a problem and is a problem. And I think I'm because I meet these kind of people that you're describing in my Twitter feed. Um, and yes, they are saying to me, like, you're corrupted. You're you don't know that you're used by the elites. And they're all the things that are they are saying to me. I think about them. Um, and I am I find the nonviolent communication developed by Marshall Rosenberg very inspiring. And one of the things that I got from that is that emotions are very recognizable. So all the things that they're saying to me, I can empathize with their feelings, you know. Uh, But I also don't interact with it because it's just a drain of energy. Do you engage with them or not? No, never. No? No. Okay. Very rarely I um, will (laughs) write, thank you for your contribution. But that's only when I'm... When I just, I don't know, but I don't know when the last time that I did that, but it's probably over a year ago. No, I generally just mute these people. But what I always do is, and I got this from Hannah Arendt, um, uh, because uh, she said about something that we still needed to be able to laugh about it. And um, I thought it, it it was a very powerful position, you know, because you can also decide these things in yourself. Like, they're not talking about me. And I can see how they are hurt and challenged and, you know, unsafe and so many things. So, but I'm also not going to put energy into, you know, saving all of them. Uh, so I just need to make this, uh, how do you say, like bearable or processable. So I always, when I post something and there's like a lot of um, yeah. trolls uh, commenting, I do this co- contest with myself like what is the most what's the funniest reply and so i go through all of them and i look at their comments from that question and then i mute them Uh, it's getting a lot worse so it takes more time now but it's really nice that if you mute someone once 
then the problem is solved for the future. Um, so, and then I laugh about the ones that I think are, you know, funny, that are original, stuff like that. And do you see any patterns in there? Like, do you, because I don't know if you know this, but I actually speak with them a lot. Yeah. And, uh, oh, no, I didn't notice. Okay. I, I study this. Uh, yeah. I've been studying this for years. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, one of the my previous guests was Lee McIntyre, who wrote the yeah. book How to Talk to a Science Denier. Yeah, oh yeah. For that that book, he went also undercover in a flat Earth conference, oh. and uh, so actually, it, it really interests me as yeah. well. So I mean, they're providing very interesting data. Uh, do you have the feeling that you get different comments than your male XR colleagues? I mean, we don't compare. I never looked into it but I assume that the ones that used to really enrage me were the ones that say oh a little girl you don't get it stuff like that and I think that is probably more common an XR colleague of mine she really got like bad rape comments I'm glad I didn't get those um I once got a like um letter through the mail that was a bit luckily it wasn't sent to our home but to a place where I'm related to. Uh, so that was, a yeah, that was not so nice. But um, yeah, it's, it's and it's also many people are saying that uh, I'm getting paid by, you know, whatever. And also because my PhD um, is related to climate crisis, they'll say things like, oh, you're making money off of lying to us. And, and stuff your PhD like that. is about money, so. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. they don't get that at all. Yeah. And I think for me personally, you have a certain amount of energy and you need to decide how to spend it. And for me, I'm trying to get more people to become like the forefront people instead of the people who really don't get it, trying to get them on board, you know. And I'm really glad that you're doing that work because I think in the end, you know, everything is important and you just need to be doing where you feel you can contribute most or what feels most effective to you and stuff like that. Many of the conversations I had about uh, I'm not part of Extinction Rebellion or, yeah. or any group, and but I, I fully support them, uh, especially because everything is uh, peaceful. That's the number one thing. But if I have conversations with people about this, they say, but yeah, but you're only polarizing with these uh, demonstrations. And these kinds of people, maybe they're very extreme, the ones that leave comments on Twitter. Yeah. But a lot of people worldwide but also in the netherlands they realize that climate is an issue but they also care about if we have to take some radical measures right that would uh, affect your ability to buy things or to take care of your children or to uh, yeah give up a certain way of life uh, so the argument usually is like you're only making things worse uh, with this because more like the moderate people you're kind of scaring them off and how do you expect to convince them uh well i guess that these people are also part of the people who are not going to be in the um you know who are going to be the silent majority who get along you know like the women who are happy and grateful about their voting rights now who yeah. wouldn't have been back then because you see that you know both our protest is are only growing xr is only growing and i think that uh awareness of the climate crisis is also growing. And I think that um, many people also uh, realize more and more that we need to disrupt to get adequate climate policy. 
And yes, a few people will be appalled by it. And I think that a really good example are the um, actions with the paintings um, the, in the beginning of this year. So many people were appalled, but like... When, when they were throwing uh, yeah, soup. soup at yeah. uh, a Van Gogh yeah. painting and some other paintings and as well. In the museum. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then two, three days later, they start to realize, okay, so I really care about the, this painting, but do I care more about if the climate crisis is, is, is as bad as I think it is and I suddenly need to balance these two, then the urgency of the climate crisis kind of settles further because you need to engage with it once more and how bad it actually is. And so we both saw that a lot of people joined XR. So when people are saying, okay, uh, I mean, one of the comments was, yes, I support the, the cause, but yeah. this is not the way. Exactly. I actually saw you in one of the talk shows yeah. where, where you were invited after an XR blockade. Oh, yeah. And most of the time was spent there. I yeah. think I measured it. Uh, actually, oh. there was like... 10, 10, 15 minutes yeah. about is this the way, is this the way yeah. and are you allowed to break the law and whatever and then you did this like uh, I think it was like 37 seconds you you did climate science 101 yeah. but the rest was you were being asked questions about yeah but okay but I understand it's a problem but shouldn't you do this, shouldn't you do yeah. that do you think you're just going to scare people off I mean you must get this all the time right like yeah. say people saying yeah I understand why you are doing this but why why block a road why break, why break the law yeah and I think the what I am practicing is how to pivot to the issue yeah. so every time you get that question how can I pivot to, to the issue and so you can both say like um, disruption, you know, has proven to be effective. And also we have had climate diplomacy for 30 years now and CO2 emissions are still going up. So clearly that hasn't been enough. But then also pivot to the issue, to the, to the climate crisis, because we need to be uh, discussing that, you know, like how is this a threat for us? Because I, I really think that most people... And there are many climate scientists who agree with me on this, are not aware of how bad things are going to become. And I think if you see how quickly things got bad with Corona, I cannot imagine how bad they're going to get when people find out how fucked they are, how, how politicians have lied to them. And also when it's already too late for certain things to... I really like the Dutch word onomkeerbaar, irreversible, because so many of these consequences are irreversible. Yeah. And so there is a point after which it's too late. You cannot turn it back. Uh, and I... Yeah, you cannot take out CO2 out of... When CO2 is in the atmosphere, yes. it's there. If the Amazon leave, um, went past its, tip, its tipping point, yeah. there is no technology that's going to return it to being a forest. Yeah a rainforest, then it's just going to be a desert with, you know, like, uh, which has like a, a thousand other consequences. So discussing why are you, why are you doing this? Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's really a challenge to turn that to how, how bad this is, because it's also, a, there's also many of these questions that are just ways to avoid the trauma, you know? Yeah, so you're kind of, you're presenting them with an Im immediate problem. So you're presenting uh, the city of Den Haag with a, a problem, 
well, you're not really the the people who drive the cars because you know it's announced. You know that yeah. it's going to be blocked and everything like that. Yeah. And and that road has also been closed for half a year last year. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and you're presenting the police with the problem because they have to remove you. Uh, but you're also presenting, yeah, journalists and everybody with the problem where they're saying you're not throwing painted paintings, but you are disrupting something. You're doing something which is not allowed. And then you're saying, yeah, but because the, the argument is usually like, so then they start to post pictures of flooded roads and everything and saying, yeah. well, why is the climate crisis blocking the road or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're pivoting to something else, which is uh, urgent. Yeah, it's the, the, do you know the tragedy of the horizons? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was just thinking last week, I need to write something about the horizon is on fire or something mm -hmm. like that. The tragedy of the horizon is this thing coined by Mark Carney in 2015, who was then the, uh, the director is not the right word. I think the president of the Bank of England. And he said that the reason that financial institutions cannot act in accordance with the climate crisis is because of this a disconnect between uh, return now and return in the future. And so the reason I know it is because it's used in this novel, The Ministry of the Future yeah. by Kim Stanley yeah. Robinson. So I did some research about it as well. Yeah. But do you know the novel as well? Well, yes. Like I almost have every week someone telling me I should read it, yeah. but uh, I haven't. Um, because it's because in your free time you exactly. want to relax yeah, yeah i understand that yeah, yeah. i don't want to be i also really need moments where i don't think about the climate crisis this, this novel you know i learned many things from this novel it opens with a giant heat wave yeah, in, in, in india, india with yeah. wet, wet bulb temperatures which yeah. means that your body cannot give off heat to the right yeah. environment so you start to boil inside yeah. and you're and now we have this in India. Yeah. So now I don't know if it's now, but last week there there are hot bulb temperatures in India. Yeah. So I also I got halfway and I thought, okay, this is. Um, I think it's uh, it's one of the blurbs saying this also. Give this to like policymakers because yeah, yeah, you need yeah. to read this. But so that I know from the tragedy of the horizons is that now we're kind of living in a bubble. Uh, we're still kind of comfortable. We're in the northern part of Europe. We're not in the heat wave. It's actually quite enjoyable, the yeah. weather. People are complaining that it's not really summer weather. It's yeah. uh, like 20 something degrees and raining a lot. Uh, so it doesn't really feel like we're in a crisis or an emergency. Yeah. But this is the time that we can still do something. Yeah. So if we do something now, if we have radical climate policy, then yeah, we can still affect. You say radical, but I think it's adequate. Also, sometimes politicians will say ambitious. Yeah. And I think... Uh, my partner, Chris, always says, yeah, you also don't go to the dentist for an ambitious um, treatment, you know, you go to the dentist for a, an adequate treatment. Yeah. And this is the same, right? Like, seriously, the survival of our species is what is at risk. Ambitious is relative to what or radical relative to what? I think we, yeah, it needs to be adequate, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's like uh, I was kind of half quoting also Ernst Jan Kuyper oh, yeah, who said yeah. we, uh, we have one choice between radical uh, sure. climate policy or radical climate change. And actually radical makes much more sense because yes, we need to change things from the root. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. And there's also this book by Michaela Loach, I think she's called. I'm I don't not know. saying her name right, probably. And it's called It's Not That Radical. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So it depends what, what is radical, right? Yeah. So so you're on the blocking the A12, but yeah. is 
I mean, is it really radical? I mean, the last time there was like kind of a festival, there were yeah. musicians coming. It was almost like yeah. people were like dancing in their bikinis because of the water cannon and yeah. joking. And the, I love the, ex I mean, one of the things that touched me most about the previous protest, which yeah. was in May, I think, yeah. was the XR clowns, because it's yeah. such a serious situation. Yeah. You have the, the people sitting there, uh, surrounded by the police and you don't know when the police is going to do something yeah and like i was trying to get before it's kind of this performance but it's yeah. very serious but yeah. it's still technically it's performative it's yeah. a performance and oh you did also cultural yeah, yeah, yeah. right? so yeah. performative you must yeah. know this uh, yes, concept sure. yeah. yeah so it's for sure it's performative but then you have these clowns and they're kind of joking around yeah. and it was like the energy just kind of dissipated, yeah. playing with it. I missed, I got arrested before they did their thing. Uh, but I talked to one of the clowns in the train uh, going to The Hague. Yeah. And um, she said that it's really de-escalating. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Same as when you're reading the Twitter comments and you're trying to find the funniest yeah. uh, comments. Yes, in a way, yes. Because yeah. it's like, I guess the, yeah, so that's... The, the word is absurd in, in this, I mean, that humor has to do with absurdity. And yeah. so the tragedy of the horizon is that we, we can do something now if we change things radical in the sense we change course. Like yeah. Michel Serres says uh, in the 90s, he wrote this book already about climate crisis. And he yeah. said, we're in this boat heading towards an iceberg. Yeah. And all we're doing is slowing down 10% instead yeah. of changing direction. Exactly, yeah. So it means like we have to change direction, right? Yeah. And now we can do that. But by the moment that people actually start to feel it, they have their oh shit moment. Yeah. <laughs> then it will be too late. So yeah. if you're, we're now experiencing 1.3, yeah. uh, when we experience 1.5, maybe people yeah. think, whoa, shit, we don't want to, this to get worse. But yeah. then it may be already too late to avoid yeah. uh, two degrees. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what is it, because I think it ex these protests on the road are pretty powerful because Extinction Rebellion has done a lot already, blocking trains in, yeah. in Amsterdam, coal trains, or yeah. going just like normal demonstrations, sometimes still, you know, going in front of banks or something like that. Yeah. I think it's also a combination with this very simple demand that we have, like end fossil subsidies, yeah. is something that almost everyone can get behind. And I think that also more people start to realize that, yes, blocking a road is extreme, but doing nothing is more extreme. Mm -hmm. And and then I, by that, I don't mean that you need to get arrested, right? Like, but like coming to the A12. Um, and, but I have to say that the arrests do really help because the way that the media works, the number of arrests really determines the coverage that we get. Yeah. And especially when journalists are getting arrested. Yes, that also really <laughs> helps. So thanks to the police for that. Um, or when they are arresting people before the blockade. Yes, takes that place, also really helps. Waking them up in the middle of the night. Yeah. And, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it really helps to, um, you know, that I think that that the demand is so simple. Really, also contributes to the success of the A12 action. Yeah. Yeah. What's your formal role in XR? I don't, we don't, I used to um, have a, a couple of formal roles and then I uh, got the burnout mm -hmm. and I decided to, I cannot imagine a world in which I don't take action anymore. Like I feel it's an obligation that I have and I needed to do it for my mental health um, 
yeah, so mental health in the sense like taking action and also um, being with people who share this. Uh, so I, then I decided I'm only going to do actions and no longer do any meetings. Yeah. That was a great decision. And so now I do a, a bit of uh, spokesperson stuff. And uh, and then I also really enjoy... Um, so for instance, now I'm organizing this thing with the Hoogleraar. I'm also trying at my own university to get the university to sign a couple of in- movements uh, together wrote this initiative, uh, this letter to the government saying that they need to stop fossil fuels. And that got signed by a lot of companies and NGOs and stuff like that. And I thought it would be really nice if the university signs that as well. So I'm trying to organize that. And um, this other goal that I had for myself this summer is to mobilize people for the A12. Because we really need a lot of people because we're going to block the road every day. How many do you have numbers about how many people were there? No, I, the we're expecting 20,000 in September on the 9th. And how many were there in, in May? I think between 8 to 10. 8 to 10,000 people yeah. that got arrested or that? No, uh, who joined the blockade, blockade or the um, support demo. Yeah. And then 1555 got arrested. But that was already double from I think yeah. the time before that, right? Yeah. Yeah, before we were just below 800, yeah. And now we had uh, the worst summer storm on right. the record. And uh, yeah. so uh, it's uh, do you have this double feeling? Where, like I said here, the climate is quite okay at this yeah. moment, the weather, I mean. But many people in the Netherlands go on holiday to Spain or yeah. Italy or France. Yeah. And there it's like all these record temperatures. Yeah. And then, of course, I feel for, because I know climate change it's hardest with the people who already have it bad. So I'm not happy it happens. But I also think, yeah, but maybe people get their oh shit moment when they go on holiday there and they realize like, whoa, what the fuck? There's something going on. And they come back and maybe they do join the blockade or maybe they do do something else. So I really, I have this pin and t-shirt by a designer from the UK, called spelling mistakes cost lives and it says it has to get worse before it gets worse so i you know as you say would never be happy that things are really bad yeah but i do think that yeah uh you know the climate crisis and the situations that people are are being confronted with in the south of europe right now uh is helping to mobilize for the atalfaxi yeah, and it's, I mean, it's such a double thing because you, it's like the most uh, privileged thing like tourism. But yeah, this is what people who can change a lot of things care about is going on holiday and, and enjoying their time in the sun. And, uh, yeah.